Hello and welcome to Radiance and Resilience. I'm Betty Parker, your host. So today we get into it. Today we get to the meat of the matter. We get to the heart of it all. Dr. K joins me today and we start talking about how to slay the problem. We jump right into it and we dig deep into it. We're asking you as an engaged participant to put alongside what you hear from Dr. K and I, your own people issues that you're facing. And we start with you. So you're going to hear us call you to account, personal accountability, self-awareness, introspection, all of those things that we need to do in terms of work on ourselves so that when we are in the spaces where we have to deal with the people who we may be challenged by, we know how we show up and then can hopefully influence the conversations we have with them. I think you're going to get a lot out of this particular episode. So be prepared with your pen and your pad to jot down some ideas that you learn and certainly become an engaged participant in these sessions. So thank you so much for joining us. And on the other side of the break, you get to hear all about what it is to slay these giant people problems. Stick around. Getting along with coworkers, supervisors, customers, and yes, even family members can be difficult at times. Differences are expected, but can still be hard to manage. Knowing how to handle those differences effectively and thoughtfully preserves those most important relationships. So how do you do it? Answers can be found within the pages of my latest book, Crushing Goliath, Winning Practices for Slaying Giant People Problems. I'm Betty Parker, and over the past 17 years, I've been helping people manage tough relationship issues, whether it's a boss who bullies, a coworker who's bossy, or a spouse whose input is a bit too critical, I tackle it all. Find out how when you get your copy of Crushing Goliath by going to crushinggoliath.com. In it, you'll find reflective questions, case studies, and discussion topics that challenge and engage you. Also, keep listening after the end of today's podcast to hear about the accompanying workshop. Get ready to slay the giants in your life. Order your copy of Crushing Goliath now. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today because I get a chance to talk to my sister friend, Dr. K, who I've been telling you will be joining us through the bulk of this season to talk about all of the things we're going to be doing and discussing in terms of our journey toward better. And so I'm, I just want to extend a warm welcome and invitation to her today and just say thank you, Dr. K, for being a part of today's discussion. Thank you so much, Betty. I am so excited. I'm always honored to have an opportunity to join you in anything you're doing. You know I'm your fan. And so I am so excited to be able to spend this time with you and to just share this amazing conversation or conversations, I should say, with your listeners. And so this is actually a, a distinct honor for me. So I'm Really, really excited and ready to dig in. Awesome, because we have a lot to cover and I really appreciate you sharing your expertise here. So in the work that you do, much like what I do too, we're always dealing with people at the end of the day. I mean, it's just about working with folks and 
helping them to understand how to be a better them, especially in the work world. We want to talk today, not just about work, but also home life as well and our time out in the community. In all of those aspects of our living, we are going to encounter people. And sometimes those encounters are not always going to be as fruitful as we need them to be because we're likely to run across people who have differing opinions than ours. Maybe we approach things a little bit differently. Our styles may be different. And so like everybody else who might be listening, there are times when we are going to have some sticky situations that come up and it threatens to, I don't know, just kind of, I don't want to say damage a relationship, but it can be a bit off-putting and it can certainly hurt the relationship if we don't know how to manage it well. So in the book, uh, in my book, Crushing Goliath, Winning Practices for Slaying Giant People Problems, one of the challenges I think people face and that I address in the book is dealing with and being able to clearly define what the real issues are. So oftentimes when we are having conversations with people or sharing our opinions or seeking out advice or even working with somebody on a team or if we're leading a team of people and we, you know, kind of run afoul each other, we might end up finding ourselves at a place where we are at odds and arguing or having a difference of opinion around something that really doesn't have as much to do with our difference than we think it is. So ultimately we end up, I don't know, you know, frustrated by the symptoms of something that might be a deeper situation that has gone unaddressed. And I, I believe this is probably very prevalent among people who know each other well. So have you at any point um, seen, and, and I know you're a coach, you're a certified coach. So Dr. K and all of these uh, people that you coach throughout the course of the years you've been doing this work, have you ever encountered a situation where you're trying to coach someone and you all have been working in a particular, I don't know, area of that person's life, but there's something more that even they haven't really been introspective enough about and we've kind of missed the boat on rectifying what the issue is because we've let other things go untouched. Absolutely, Betty. As you were sharing, I just kind of was smiling to myself because you so beautifully described what it is to work with humans <laughs> and, and how, you know, the sometimes the conflicts or the encounters we have, it really is a part of our humanity. And I have had those situations when working with clients, when coaching, where conflict arises or difficulty arises around communication or just kind of misunderstandings and how do you kind of get to a place where you can have a resolve that is not superficial. Mm -hmm. And I often, often encourage my clients in those instances to look at the thing behind the thing, right? Because sometimes what we are seeing is kind of just that superficial layer, but there are often things happening underneath the surface. And here is where it is so critically important to have this sense of emotional intelligence. I talk a lot about 
emotional intelligence in dealing with these kinds of things, Betty, is having this sense of, okay, let me check my emotions. I may be in the middle of a trigger, but let me try to navigate this trigger to the degree that I don't sabotage this relationship. And then have those moments of really leaning into, let me seek understanding as opposed to just stopping at this place and this desire to be understood. And so it's a call for us to go deeper. And so often we don't move beyond that triggered space because we don't pause long enough to give ourselves an opportunity to step back and ask some really deep questions that would cause us to be more introspective, to be more reflective, and then to determine how do I want this to end, right? Mm. So sometimes it's, it's even necessary to, in that, in that stepping back, to ask ourselves this question, how do I want this to end? So that sense of going to the end at the beginning and then backing ourselves up to determine the mode of operation that we're going to take. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that because I think the outcome should be what the focus should be about. Oftentimes, as I mentioned, and I'm going to read a quick excerpt from the book because I think it encapsulates some of what you just, uh, just described. Um, some problems have layers of issues that get overlooked in an effort to solve the immediate complaint quickly. The solution sometimes works, but only for a short time, a period of time, because the problem is handled only on a superficial level. If the issue is not clearly defined, the problem solver may only be pacifying the symptoms while the real problem goes unaddressed. So to your point, I know sometimes I love the idea of how do we want the end to look, how do we want this to end? And then backing out of it and determining, okay, what steps do we need to take to get there? I think being able to say, well, here's what the real issue is, helps us to get to that end point. Because some people, I think because it is so uncomfortable to have to have difficult conversations with people and to call out things that will hold people accountable when they haven't done things well, they are so afraid that they're go going to destroy that relationship or cause more issues that they try to, they oftentimes will shrink away from it rather than tackling it, you know, head on. And I want people to build confidence around how to do that because avoiding conflict is not an answer to resolving conflict. We have to address it no matter how uncomfortable it is. Being able to identify what the real issue is right out the box will help us get to that endpoint that we're looking for. I think people try to rush to judgment uh, in a lot of these situations only because they want to get through it quickly. They want to be done with it, or it's easier just to say, hey, I'll just cave in. I'll just allow them to have whatever it is they want to have because I would rather do that than to deal with all of the fallout from this situation. So what does that look like? What's the difference between us figuring out what we want the end result to be versus us rushing to the end result just because we're trying to avoid the difficulties that might come out of having a tough conversation when we're at odds with others? I love that question. You know, in the context of uh, what you're 
talking about what you've written about in your amazing book, Crushing Goliath, it reminds me of something that I share and I've shared for a very long time, even with students as I've been teaching, giants follow us unless we kill them, right? Mm. And when you talk about um, kind of crushing Goliath, slaying the giant, it's important for us to remember that we're crushing the giants. We're, cr we're slaying the giants. We're not crushing people. Mm. We're not slaying people. So remembering, if you will, who the real enemy is, right? And so it's not the person. So I love that you invite us in the book to think about what is the problem. So let's, let's use the problem as the giant. So thinking about what is my best way to crush this problem, not the person. So being able to separate the person from the problem is, mm -hmm. is the first step in recognizing my movement forward. Because when we are able to separate the person from the problem, then we're also able to put our energy into the direction that it needs to go in a healthier way. So the, the resolve becomes, let's really together then deal with this problem, which then minimizes that sense that we are at odds with each other. So then that person can become your collaborator in dealing with the problem. So you're able to approach it as collaborators instead of enemies, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's the, that is key. I love that that we're looking at the issue and not the person, unless the person is the issue, but most often what we find is we're at, uh, we're at a difference of opinion about certain things and how things should occur. And so mm -hmm. like you're saying, I think when we can separate the person from whatever the challenges that we have, we can stop taking things so personally, right? A yes. lot of times yes. people take things personal and it really doesn't have anything to do with them on a personal level. It's just that, hey, your approach might be totally different from mine in this situation. And I, I got to say, it gets even stickier when we start looking at hierarchies in businesses and organizations. So if it's my boss that I'm at odds with, because they're telling me and giving me some type of directive about how to accomplish a task or a project they've put me on, I'm more familiar with the project than my boss is because I'm closer to it. And I don't agree with their methods by which they're suggesting this. And we are, you know, kind of bumping heads on this rather than getting so upset with my, my boss and being very judgmental. And you know what that tends to look like, Dr. K, we go and tell yes. everybody else about it in the workplace and then it becomes fodder for gossip. And then I'm tearing up my boss's reputation only because I don't like the suggestion or the directive that they've given me. So one of the things I have to think about if I'm going to go deeper and think more critically about this situation, why am I resistant to the suggestion of my manager or supervisor? What is it about their suggestion that I don't feel like I can accept? How am I approaching this situation with my manager or supervisor that's contributing to the difficulties that already exist? Am I being too judgmental about their directive and closing myself off to hearing a different way. I mean, there's so many questions we can ask of ourselves mm -hmm. and be more introspective in a situation like that. 
Absolutely. I love the I love the list of questions you just gave. They are such powerful questions in those challenges. And you know, you mentioned Betty those dynamics, but those dynamics are very real. In my work, I often face that very scenario where you know, the person I'm coaching might be very paralyzed by the power dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. It's often the boss and they're trying to understand how do I navigate these power dynamics with my boss? You know, even when we think about people who are so paralyzed by the power dynamics, I've often had people who are resigning say things to me like, I love the work I do, but I have to leave this leader, right? Mm -hmm. And so people make this great escape from their leaders. But what I've also found is that some of those relationships or um, oftentimes the departure was not necessary. It was just mm. that the person was so paralyzed by their fear and by their inability or their disbelief or unbelief that they could have a crucial conversation. Here's what I've recognized, that oftentimes leaders are more open to crucial conversations than we realize. Mm -hmm. We actually don't often invite those conversations because of our own fear. So I would first suggest, Betty, that in those instances, we ask ourselves one question, what am I afraid of? Mm. And then sitting with that question until you arrive at an answer. So it's that moment of being very transparent with yourself and very authentic in your response. What am I afraid of? Or another question is, what is the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is so critically important that we don't allow that fear or the what ifs to paralyze us to the degree that we just completely fall apart in our workplaces and in our uh, relationships because we we did not move forward. And one of the things that I studied um, in, in, and did research on was this notion around organizational silence. And that is when people are sitting in organizations, they're talking, but they're not speaking up, meaning mm. they are not speaking up in ways that matter. And when we are in organizations and that phenomenon of organizational silence has set in, people begin to talk to each other, but they are not speaking up to their leaders, right? And they have bought into and, and per perhaps even created through groupthink this notion that we cannot. Well, is that valid information? Right. Is that really true? You know, mm -hmm. we are we are masterful at creating false narratives. <laughs> oh, yeah. So is that really true? Have you had an opportunity? Have you invited an opportunity to have a conversation? Sometimes we forget the art of just sitting down and having conversations with another person. And so I would suggest um, asking those questions, what am I afraid of? What is the worst thing that could happen? And then determining strategically, how do I invite my leader into a crucial conversation? And we can talk more about that. We have 
so many more episodes to go, but <laughs> perhaps we can we can really focus in on the power of crucial conversations. I love that you said oftentimes we shy away from conflict. I've heard so many people say, oh, I just don't like conflict. Mm -hmm. But I really see conflict not as a negative, but as an opportunity. I think sometimes when we think about conflict, we also think that it has to be combative and it mm -hmm. doesn't, right? It doesn't have to be combative. To confront something does not automatically mean that you have to be combative in your confrontation. Confrontation is merely raising it to a place of visibility so that you both can see it, right? Mm -hmm. And so leaning into conflict and not running away from it. Absolutely. You said a couple of things here that really stuck out for me. When you mentioned organizational silence, and oh my gosh, we could go and do a whole episode just on that. Mm -hmm. I was also seeing it from the point of when organizations go silent when they need to be addressing things. So you know, you and I do a lot of work in the DEIA space, and I'm thinking about all this work that we have you know, when we did the front end work and needs analysis and all that kind of work for organizations who say, I want to venture into this space to understand if we are being a place where people feel like they have a sense of belonging. And then you bring mm -hmm. to them, here's what the evidence is showing based on the surveys, the climate surveys and culture surveys that we've done. Here's what your people say they're experiencing. They're shocked by what they hear and see, but then they go silent. They don't move any farther <laughs> along on this journey, you know, to rectify the issue. Yes. So organizations can become very silent and allow things to happen within the culture that is very destructive to people's ability to be able to work comfortably in that setting. And I just think it's something that we have to challenge them to speak up, not just individuals to speak up on it, but for the organizations to meet them where they are in terms of their concerns and say, I hear you, you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. We have to be better as an organization to make this a workplace where you feel safe and heard. So sure. I like that. Sure, I, I, your points are very, very valid. And we have to ensure that, you know, I talk all the time about for those of us who are in the workforce at this very moment, we are spending the majority of our lives at work. And when organizational leaders think about the time that people are um, at work, that that time should be really framed with and undergirded with a culture where people feel like they can thrive, where they feel like they are safe, where they feel like they can belong. So going back to assessments and, and, and inviting feedback through surveys, when, when that information is gathered and presented to a leader or a leadership team or the heads of organizations, it behooves that leadership team, leader, wherever that information is being lifted up to, to respond appropriately. Because when there is little to no response after people have stepped into perhaps their courage to even share their experiences, their lived experiences as at work, 
the worst thing a leadership team can do is not acknowledge that they see see the people who mm -hmm. submitted it, that they hear the people who submitted it, and that they value the people who submitted it. When people don't feel seen, heard, or valued, they are going to lose three important critical components of what makes a culture a good culture, and that is trust, respect, and commitment. Mm. So when people don't feel seen, heard, and valued, they are going to lose trust, respect, and commitment. And that's why it's so important that organizations not go silent, even when you are hearing something that perhaps you didn't expect, perhaps you are just kind of you feel, you feel sucker punched by it, right? Because you just had no idea that people felt that way. However, this is the opportunity where you really step into your leadership role and you get up on the balcony and you determine, leader, how you are going to address what you have received so that the people who are following you can see can feel seen, heard, and valued, and that you don't lose their trust, their respect, and their commitment. Amen. Amen. You're preaching, Dr. K. <laughs> <laughs> this is so true. And anybody in a, workable, a workforce will concur with that, I'm sure, because it's so difficult at times for people to even give feedback. It's not often solicited enough by organizations. And if I were to take it even from the organizational level down to the leadership level, individual leadership level, it's even more difficult for people to give feedback, not, not just because they don't feel like they can give their boss, their manager, supervisor, critical feedback, but oftentimes because it's not solicited, they're not asked to give that type mm -hmm. of input. So these managers and supervisors are oftentimes required by the company to provide at least an annual appraisal of their work but it's not often reversed where those employees can tell their managers or supervisors what their experience has been under their leadership. And that's mm. a disservice they're, they're doing, not just for to the employee, but even to themselves, because how can you grow and develop if you're not finding out the points of view that need some improvement? I want us to move a little bit in the book. I talk a little bit about, I do these leader lessons and there's an alert there. So what I try to put in those particular topics is the critical part of what people feel at work, because I hear it all the time when I've done coaching and training and development, and those aspects that people want to say, but they cannot say. So I'm going to be the voice for those people. And one of them is having a difficult boss. And I know you have likely heard all of the stories as much as I have. I want to talk specifically to people who are difficult bosses, Dr. K. And how do you know if you're a difficult boss? You know, some people think they're doing a fantastic job and that's why they continue to do these things that are so destructive mm -hmm. to the people in the workplace. They don't even realize they lack self-awareness or even the worst ones is, is this. When they tell me, Betty, I know I can be hard sometimes or I know I do this thing wrong, but they continue to do it. They persisted and they don't do anything to improve in that. Somebody's giving them feedback Actually, I find that most often it's come from someone in a per, on a personal level. It might be a family member or friend who feels more comfortable giving them this feedback. They're the same way they are at work that they are at home. 
And so the ones who are at work are suffering and struggling because they can't be as direct and given that feedback. But the person is somewhat aware that it exists, yet they do nothing to change it. So mm-hmm. what do you, how do you reach somebody who is in leadership, who might be that difficult boss to try to get them to think a little bit more about their behavior and what they might be doing that is more destructive than productive in terms of leading their teams? Great question, Betty. I, that's where I find the value of coaching. I, I absolutely love leadership coaching. You and I have had this conversation, mm-hmm. but I absolutely love leadership coaching because it gives a leader an opportunity to step into what I call a lab, right? For examination, for exploration. We all have blind spots. The thing about being a leader, oftentimes we don't have anyone who may step into that role as confronting in confronting us regarding our blind spots. Leaders are very good in a lot of instances in surrounding themselves with yes people. Mm-hmm. And, and when that happens, it's great to have yes people around us, but you also need no people, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to help us see inside of our blind spots. So many of the, the things that you mentioned, so many of those things we do unconsciously. We're, we're, not, we're not seeing ourselves. So in those coaching sessions, I always invite leaders into a three-way engagement with themselves. How do I engage myself in these three ways? From my head, from my heart, and with my hands. And what that means is, what do I think about it? How do I feel about it? But also, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to put my hands to this to change something? And so it starts with that really deep examination, not just what we think about something, but Betty, even the head heart engagement, what is really going in my, going on in my heart Mm -hmm. that helps to drive this decision? What are some things, what are some heart issues I may need to deal with? I love at the beginning of our time together, you said, you know, this, this is not just about work. That's only one part, but it's also about your personal life. It's how, it's how you show up in the world, right? And so when we are invited, when, when we are invited, and sometimes we are, are extending that invitation to ourselves hmm. to be able to examine those areas, what am I thinking right now? What is the condition to my of my heart, how might heart issues be getting in my way, right? So that what I do is aligned with what I intend to do. And so it's that deep examination and, you know, that can happen through coaching and then a leader being open to the feedback, to to really be okay, getting okay with hearing some things that may be hard to hear, some things that may be challenging to hear, um, some things that may be hurtful to hear, but hearing it nonetheless, 
with the understanding that hearing this could make me better, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's that sense of openness. And I always ask a leader, groups, you know, teams, do you want to be excellent? And Betty, I promise you, I've never had any team member, any leader say to me, no, I don't care to be excellent. Right, <laughs> right. right. I don't care to be excellent. I'm I'm okay with average. I'm okay with mediocre. I'm okay with that'll do. I always have that buy-in of, yes, I want to be excellent. And so then the coaching questions are then centered around what is getting in the way of my excellence. Mm-hmm. And so being able to ask and answer those questions for ourselves. And so I encourage leaders to take time for those um, those built-in intentional moments for reflection and introspection. Because if, if that goes missing in our leadership, we become tellers and not doers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And so it's so important for us to have those opportunities where we are reflecting, we're examining our hearts, we're examining our thoughts, we are um, in this rhythm of making sure that we are securing our own mask first before attempting to secure the mask of others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that we are not, that we are getting the right oxygen to our own brains so that we are not doing things and behaving in ways that are hurtful and harmful to others. Absolutely. So we started off by asking about how do we deal with the real issues that exist in conflict situations? And I think we've given quite a bit of information in terms of being introspective and asking the right questions. In the book, Crushing Goliath, there are two important questions we ask our readers to ask of themselves when they're in the midst of Mm -hmm. that type of struggle. And so I would highly encourage people to grab the book, take a look at it. There are some reflection questions in it. There's a case study in there called The Rookie Boss. It asks you to examine it, to analyze it, to respond to the questions that exist there. And I think if you are, and, and keep in mind, this isn't just people who have a title behind their names. You can be a leader without positional authority. You can think about you in your leadership of yourself, in your home, uh, you know, in civic organizations, in all kinds of aspects or areas of your life where you need to take charge. But a lot of what you expect the outcomes or what you can anticipate the outcomes to be are based on how you show up in those spaces. So I want to thank Dr. K. This has been fantastic. We have so much more to talk about. We're definitely going to talk about them in the episodes to come. So we ask you all to stick around, come back next Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in the U.S. where you will hear episode number three. And we're going to have much conversation around that. I implore you to stick around even after this podcast because there's going to be additional information on how you can take some of what you learned just in the 30 minutes that you've been hearing us talk what you'll see in the book, and also how you can participate in a workshop that will go even deeper than this. We also invite you, because our whole goal is to make you giant slayers. That's the whole goal. At the end of this, Mm -hmm. you will be able to slay the giants of life that get in the way of you being your greater self. And so there is an opportunity for you to leave us a voicemail. If you have questions or comments 
around anything that you've heard in this particular episode, we invite your input. We are interested in hearing what you're thinking about, what you hear, and what you're challenged by the most. And we'll, if we choose your voicemail or your question, we will try to answer that in any subsequent uh, episodes that we have. So please, we want to invite you to be a part of this discussion. Dr. Kate, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Betty. What an exciting journey. I'm looking forward to more. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm learning from you as I'm hearing you talk. So I've walked this walk for quite a few years too. And so have you, but it's so cool to sit and listen to somebody who's in the same space as you and hear how they address some of the same issues you face. It, it confirms some things in me and it enlightens me in the other areas too. So thank you for all of this valuable input. And I can't wait till our next episode. Thank you, Betty. Thank you for this amazing work. You are welcome. All right, we'll see you all again next week. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this season of Radiance and Resilience, a podcast for those seeking light and strength. I hope your interest is piqued by what you've heard so far. Your next step then is to pick up the book, Crushing Goliath, Winning Practices for Slaying Giant People Problems. You can do that in two ways. Go to crushinggoliath.com and purchase there or go to the website, thesharpersolution.com and scroll down to the middle of the homepage where you'll find an invite to purchase the book. Now, while you're there, click on the learn more button to register for our September workshops. The step after that is simply to listen for the next episode of Radiance and Resilience to drop on Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in the U.S. We look forward to taking this journey with you. Thank you so much for joining us.